Well, we're going to go ahead and we're going to have a little bit of time in the Word tonight. And so let's go ahead, we'll bow our heads and we'll pray and we'll get into the Word. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we come, Father, we are thankful that you give us encouragement. Father, you give us instruction in righteousness. And Father, you equip us with the Word of God to correct us, train us, Father, to give us joy and everything that we have need of that pertains to life and godliness come through the knowledge of you, through the Word of God. Father, give us that supernatural uh, manna tonight. Give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit, Father, to speak. Father, ears to your hearts to receive and a will to be doers of that which is spoken, your word. And Lord, we just thank you for that exchange. And Father, we just ask for the anointing to be with us tonight. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, we've got several things that we uh, could talk about. And I got on this subject and I just I couldn't quite get away from it. And I just know that in the world that we're living in, Kurt read this thing last Sunday night on preppers and, and this man who had been uh, through the uh, financial meltdown in Bosnia and the, and the, I don't know if that was a civil war. What was it that took place after that? Was that a civil war? It was a civil war. It was just a breakdown. Yeah, and there was just a really a terrible time and persecution and things like that. And when you, you know, follow the, the uh, what is it, the Voice of the Martyrs publication, or if you look at the statistics and you see there's been more Christians have been slaughtered now than the Jews under Adolf Hitler, uh, it, it, there's more Christians being killed. I think it's something like up to 60,000 Christians have been uh, murdered uh, now uh, worldwide. And so, you know, that persecution is on the rise. And we pray that it doesn't come here. Uh, but, you know, sometimes we have to realize there's always that possibility. And uh, the Muslim world is infiltrating us, and there's a lot. How do we deal with persecution? That's a big question I believe is going to become pretty relevant in the years to come. Uh, you know, we, we just, uh, we, we would like to avoid that topic, but I'll tell you what, I think we have to face it square on and get a, a doctrine, get a, a position in our heart to understand what God expects of us. So turn with me this evening to 2 Timothy 2, uh, excuse me, 3, 2 Timothy 3, verses 11 and 12, and it says, Persecutions and afflictions which came to me at Antioch and at Iconium, at Lystra, uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Now, I like that. Persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, in other words, the persecutions that he endured, everybody say endured, and I think that's really important, uh, the persecutions that he endured, out of them all the Lord delivered me. God will deliver us out of persecutions. How many of you believe that tonight? And I believe that, you know, whether it's something small at your work or... I remember one time, uh, there was a season when I was being persecuted uh, or the, the guy just didn't like me, but he sure didn't like uh, the fact that I would talk about the Word and he sure didn't like the things of God. He was kind of a, an atheist or an agnostic or, or just, uh, you know, I don't know, a fool. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. 
And so, you know, I can remember that. I can remember how uncomfortable it was to go sit in the break room with this guy, and he would just cop an attitude. And, uh, and there was a, a girl that worked there, and, and there was one girl that worked at, and it was at Pioneer Seed Corn, and she was, she was, you know, an attractive gal. She was another college-age kid, and I was a college-age kid, and we were both taking a semester off, and we were both working there, and all the other college kids were gone because summer was over, and we worked a fall semester there because we both were saving up more money to go back to school and she always would come talk to me and I think that that maybe that's why he didn't like me or something uh because maybe he wanted to or it was my Christian I don't know but he he just copped an attitude and uh and I just but I endured and the Lord delivered me from that you know there's something about enduring they that endure to the end shall be saved right and uh but we've got to have endurance endurance is a big deal with God and then it says but uh, ye and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall, not maybe, it says shall suffer persecution. How many of you feel like you've been persecuted maybe in some way, some fashion, in some venue? Raise your hand if you feel like you've been persecuted from some time, somewhere or sometime. And as it says, all that who live godly shall receive persecution. I know we've got godly people in this room. And if you haven't experienced that now, then sometime you probably will, because if your godliness will eventually run into somebody who doesn't like it and, and does not want to uh, be, uh, how can I say, admiring of it or to uh, appreciate it. That's the word I'm thinking of. There's a lot of people who aren't going to appreciate the godliness inside of you. Now turn with me to Matthew 10 and 17. We're going to read there from 17 to 39. And Jesus gives a lot of fair warning that in this world, we're going to run into people. We're going to run into institutions. And this is what I see many times in our nation right now is institutionally, we're seeing our religious liberty taken away. That is a form of persecution, folks. And we need to recognize that that is just a form of the enemy working in the institutional realm. And let's look at Matthew 10, 17 through 39. We're going to walk through those verses, beginning in verse 17. And look what it says. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up unto the councils, and they will scourge you in the synagogues. Everybody say, in the realm of religion. How many of you know God has three institutions? He has the church, the family, and the civil government. Well, the enemy knows the power of those institutions, and the devil never creates anything. He only copies and mocks and perverts things that God has already made. Do we understand that tonight? And you can see here that it starts out, the persecution will begin in the house of God. You know, if you're Pentecostal and you speak in tongues, you already know what I'm talking about. There are people that think if you speak in tongues, you, you have a, you know, a subpar intellect. And, you know, it's a funny thing. Paul was the most educated man in the New Testament, probably the most educated man in the Bible. He sat under Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee, and of, of the law, he was a Pharisee, and he was of the tribe, you know, of Judah, and uh, he, was, he was all these things. Or Benjamin, now I can't remember which tribe, but he was of a prestige and of a position that he went through all these things, and he talked about them, and he said, really, they, they don't amount to anything. But he was the most educated and the most knowledgeable guy of any of the writers, probably Old and New Testament, for sure New Testament and undoubtedly the Old Testament. And he says, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than y'all. 
How many of you find that interesting? And yet today, there'll be religious persecution. Today, there's religious persecution if you preach anything about uh, God's grace being something that empowers you instead of licenses you to do anything you want to do and live any way you want to live. How many of you notice that there's a great big divide in the body of Christ right now? It's called the grace movement. And Michael uh, Brown wrote a book on that. He also wrote a book on homosexuality. How many of you know that there are homosexual Baptist churches now and there's homosexual charismatic churches now? And they will tell you that God is a God of grace, if they even recognize it as sin. Grace is the empowerment to help us to live godly, not a license to help us live sinfully. Can I get an amen? And grace is, oh, I could go off on that, and that's a huge subject. We just won't go there because it takes take too much time. But there is a persecution that will come from the religious community that may be the nastiest and the wickedest of all the three institutions. And, you know, the Pharisees is the one that Jesus spoke most disparagingly about and, and most rebuke directed toward. And so, number one, it talks about that they will, you know, take you and it, up to their councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Number two, and they shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake and for my testimony against them and the Gentiles. So the second institution that persecution will emanate from will be the, the government the Romans 13 uh, civil realm, and we can see that the IRS has come after faith. You know, they're trying to make it impossible for a faith-based organization to have any type of 501c3 status and relief from tax through tax exemption. Uh, they are saying that, you know, that we're going to allow the churches to, to not have to marry homosexuals, but we'll see how long that stands. I predict that that won't last very long. There's a lot of things that if you're a Christian, a, a spirit-filled Christian, a born-again Christian, an evangelical Christian, uh, you know, you're a bigot. And now in, in, in not only Canada, but in numerous nations, if you preach on Romans against homosexuality, it's hate speech and they'll put you in prison. So how many of you know that persecution is already starting? Amen. It's awful quiet in here. You can say amen in the, in the church. Then look what it says. It goes on. It says this. It says, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how and what you shall speak, for it shall be given unto you in the same hour uh, what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the holy, excuse me, but the spirit of your father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. Now we're getting into the third institution, the family. Persecution will come not only through the church, not only through the civil government, but persecution will come through your families more and more towards the end times. And Satan uses all three of those institutions. God uses them for good. Satan wants to use it because he knows how powerful they are. And he knows how society and culture is based on those three things. If you haven't understood by now that it's family, government, and church that everything is based on in this world, then you need to get a clue. Because these are God's institutions. These are things that either can be used for greatness or they can be used for utter destruction. And Hitler used religion. 
Hitler used turning the family, the children against their parents through the youth camps, and Hitler certainly used the civil government and the false religious and, and the Arianism, which was a false Nordic religion uh, of Thor and the gods and supremacy of, of, of Nordic model and all these things. And, and it was very wicked. It was very dark and evil stuff. But he used all three institutions to his ends to bring about uh, the evil. And it says, And brothers shall deliver up brother to death, and father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Wow. And ye shall be hated of all men. Now it just goes to everybody. It starts out with the church, and it goes to the government, it goes to the family, and now it says, Of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Well, that sounds a lot like that he that endures in Second Timothy will be delivered. And he that endures to the end shall be saved. And it says that, and if we go back, and I, let me just read that scripture in, in Timothy, that endurance has a lot to do. In other words, you have to be able to endure some things that are coming. And if not, uh, then you won't be saved. If, if not, you won't be delivered. Because it's clearly the phrase is, it's contingent upon uh, if you do the enduring. Second Timothy 3, let's read it again. Persecution affliction which came unto me at Antioch and at Iconium and Elystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So he talks about endurance here, Paul does, and Jesus talks about endurance here to be not only delivered or to be saved. And so we've got, we've got to build up endurance. And the enemy comes with many tests to break down our endurance to keep Jesus Lord. And I want to give you, because what he wants us to do is to apostate, to give up, give in, cave in, and quit going to church, quit walking with God, quit paying the tithe, quit standing up, quit soul winning, quit being a witness, just go underground. But you can't go underground because you'll begin, it won't be long and you'll go against God. Anybody who becomes a coward on one level will become a coward completely on a whole nother level. And it starts out with not wanting to be a witness. It starts out by hiding your Bible, you know. But it'll end up, you know, P- Peter, it, you know, when he denied the Lord, it started out. He says, well, I don't know those guys. You know, how many of you know Peter denied him three times? And then it says he denied him vehemently. And then by the third time, by the time he denied him, it, it grew worse because he wasn't able to endure because he couldn't handle the persecution. And by the third time, it says he um, denied him with cursings. How many have ever read that? You remember that? Remember that portion of that? See, you're not willing to stand, not willing to endure the persecution will only grow worse. You'll you'll be walking with Jesus, and then it said after that Jesus was taken to the cross, or or there was a season where Peter followed from afar, and then he denied, then he denied, I think it says vehemently, and then the third one says he denied with cursings. How many of you know from being walking with Jesus to following from afar? You know, there's a lot of people in church today that are following from afar. I can guarantee you that to the degree that people come and they start sitting in the front and they slowly move to the back, by the time they're in the back row, they're ready to leave church. There's people in church that follow from afar. Peter followed from afar, and it wasn't, he wasn't far from not following. 
When you follow from afar, you're not far from not following. Everybody say that with me. When you follow from afar, you're not far from not following. You see, and this is what happens when persecution, when you don't know and you don't understand and you're not equipping yourself to deal with the persecution. You know, just the culture is oppressive right now. Can I get an amen? Just the culture seems to be, uh, there seems to be this growing threateningness against Christians in all the culture. And what are you going to do with that? You're going to have to deal with it on one level of another or another sooner or later. Come on, somebody, say amen. You know it's true. You know it's coming. You can go stick your head in the ground and be a little nitwit and pretend it isn't going to happen, but I got news for you. It is happening. And we need to be prepared. And in these next verses, 22 through 39, these are the six tests uh, of tribulation and persecution that can cause you to either apostate or dig in. And these are the tests that the enemy will bring. These are the crossroads. These are the T-intersection. These are the things that are going to put you on the spot. Excuse me, and there's six of them here, the number of man. Six apostating tests to see if you'll apostate or not. Jesus lists them here. Now, it doesn't call them the, the test, you know, the six, you know, six-fold test of, you know, six tests of tribulation that will cause you to apostate or not. But really, that's what they are. So let's, let's look at, and the first one we've already read, verse 22. Now we'll read verses 22 through 39 here, and we'll just walk through them, actually. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. So can't we, by uh, logic, say that he that doesn't endure to the end must not be saved? Because if he that endures to the end will be saved, then he that doesn't endure to the end will not be saved. That's just, that's just common sense. That The antithesis of that is that you don't endure to the end, that you cave in, you apostate, you fall away, you deny Jesus. They that were once enlightened and tasted of the heavenly gift and of the powers of the world to come, that if they don't repent, if they, if they don't uh, turn around, it says it's impossible to renew them to get again to repentance, Hebrews 6.6. 6. It talks about in Hebrews 10.25 that talks about they that forsake the assembling of themselves together. Let's, let's just go there quickly and we can see in Hebrews 10.25. Well, let's look at that. And It starts out by not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we will sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Wow. Then it says, but exhorting one another, and how much more as you see the day approaching? We should be exhorting each other even more and more as we see the day approaching. And then it says there's no more sacrifice for sins. Right after it talks about being faithful in church, and then it says if we sin willfully. You know, if you read things in context, which most charismatics don't, they, they extract one verse and, and insert what they want to say about it instead of taking it in the context of the whole chapter. What you see there is that there's a very high, high 
importance level put on assembling yourselves together. You know, it says that, and in, in, in for they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. Those are the four foundations of the church of Jesus Christ, continuing in the apostles' doctrine and in prayer and in the fellowship or assembling themselves together in the breaking of bread, fellowship. You see, and then it goes on and it talks about that they that do these things, you know, there's no more sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful, fearful looking unto judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary. And then it goes on and it talks about how much sore punishment, verse 29, suppose ye, uh, he be thought worthy who hath trodden under the, underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I'll recompense, saith the Lord again. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living, of the living God. So we know that we can apostate. Brother Haganaz used to say, you know, he came from Baptist background. He was Calvinist. And he said when he got among the Pentecostals and he started reading all the verses. Everybody say, all the verses. He realized that you can apostate. It's all over the Bible. And eternal security and predestination, all that stuff goes out the window when you really read your Bible. When you're not religiously brainwashed, but New Testament taught. Can I get an amen? It's very important that we understand these things. And so enduring to the end. Why would we have to endure? So it's very important that we endure to the end. So that's test number one. Do you have endurance to stay the course when people persecute you and when the times get difficult? That's test number one. Number two, let's go to verse 28. And it says... And fear not them which can kill the body, but are able to kill the soul. Excuse me. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Here's test number two. Because in verse 26, several verses before, it says, Fear them not, therefore. And we, we, the fear of man brings a snare. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in the darkness that ye speak ye in the light, and what ye hear in the ear that preach you in, upon the housetops. So we are never to walk in fear. The fear of man brings a snare. You know, when you fear man, you give them power over you. One thing, I've just chosen not to fear anybody. You know, I might get up in front of, uh, you know, two or 3,000 people, people that are far more advanced and whatever than I am in their knowledge. And, and the Lord just told me, he says, don't ever fear them. The moment you fear, you give people power over you. And fear is a selfish thing. I mean, you know, timidity is absolutely selfishness. Got a big amen on that one. But timidity is, is a form of self, because we are worried about what people think about us. Servanthood will free you from that fear of man. If you go up to, to give a, a, a speaking, a, a, a sermon, and you're afraid of how good you think people are going to think it is, therefore what they're going to think of you, and you're really con- you're concentrating on you. But if you go up and say, I'm going to serve these people, I don't care what they think. I'm here as a servant, a lowly servant, to teach them 
what I know. I could care less what they think about me. And you're always thinking, yeah, we know, Pastor Bill. I could care less what people think about me. I'm here as a lowly servant to serve you by giving you the word of God. Just as a person who works in a restaurant who is a little waitress who walks up to you and gives you your food. They shouldn't be worried about what you think about them or what they look like. They're there to serve the people. Can I get an amen? We've got to get out of ourselves. And I used to be terrified of public speaking. And I, and I understand when people have that by nature, that, that it's terrifying and, and you don't like doing it. But you can be delivered from that and you can be free from that because fear is, is and, and to fear man brings a snare. You see, but fearing the Lord, it says that the angels are camped around about them that fear him, and he will deliver them. You don't have anything to fear when you fear the Lord. Can I get an amen? Because if God before you, who can be against you? And the angels are camped around about them that fear God, not man. It says, the fear of the wicked shall come upon them, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted unto them. It says, the righteous, the wicked flee when no man pursues. The wicked flee when no man pursues. The wicked are fearful. The wicked flee when no man pursues. In other words, it's all inside of them. It's not a reality. The fear is all in their head. The fear of the wicked and no man's pursuing them. Fear is something we make up in our mind. The fear of the wicked, you see, is, is that something's out there. And it isn't even really out there. The wicked flee flee when no man pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. So righteousness and boldness go together. Can I get an amen? And when we begin to understand that, we can begin to change. We can renew our mind and we can change. Can I get an amen? I'm glad I changed because I was scared. I couldn't even pray in front of people. I, when I, I couldn't even read a, a, a scripture out of the Bible in front of people without being all nervous and my heart beating and not... And, and, and the Lord delivered me from that. And we don't fear man, we fear God. Can I get an amen? And fear them. Don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear him that can destroy. See, if we fear man and we, and we don't fear God, I think that that's, that's the path to being apostate because it says, but fear him who can destroy the body and the soul in hell. That's who we are to fear. Let's go on to the next one. Three. Verse 33 says this. It says, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. A public profession. Apostasy begins, you begin to apostate when you won't share and you won't testify, you won't give witness, you won't share your testimony or your witness in front of people, you won't acknowledge Jesus, you, you, you stay undercover that's the beginning of the path to apostasy, especially when the heat gets turned up because, see, there'll be a tipping point. There'll be an either or. There, there won't be any gray area one day when the persecution gets turned up. There'll only be black and white. You'll either be for me or against me. And Jesus says, if you're not for me, especially in a world of persecution, you'll have to become against me. Just like those, I remember that little show, uh, The Sound of Music, and that little blonde boy that was the family's friend. What, what was the Von Trapp, Von Trapp family? And they escaped out of Austria and Nazi Germany was growing. And a lot of the people that were their friends and their neighbors, all of a sudden, they started becoming their police watching them. And the boy joined the military under Hitler. And all of a sudden, this family that he was a friends with, he was going to have to turn them in. 
See, there gets, when, when persecution turns up, there's no in-between. There's no, we're all just kind of gray. You kind of, we're all in this little sloppy Christian culture. And yeah, I kind of like God. Yeah, I like God. And they're really not Christians at all. I remember these people I met down in Texas. They, they were shacking up together. They were full-blown, grade A, type 1 fornicators. Bonafide, genuine fornicators. Living together. They just loved going to a great big huge church there in Houston. Just thought it was the most wonderful thing and just enjoyed themselves. Had no conviction about it. I knew a homosexual who went to that church. No conviction about it. Just, just blessed, brother. Just blessed. And I thought, hmm, something wrong with this picture. But there'll come a day where it'll be, they'll either, you'll, if you're not for me, you'll be against me. And he says, if you don't confess me. Jesus said in Matthew 12, he says, by your words you shall be justified and by your words shall you be condemned. He says, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony, our mouth, what Jesus did, the blood of the lamb, what we say with our mouth and that we love not our life unto death. That's a, that's a no fear zone. That's not walking in fear. And how do you get saved? What is it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith that we preach, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession. With the mouth confession. With the mouth confession. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Jesus says, but whosoever shall deny me before men, I will deny him also before my father. If we don't, another place it says, if you'll not confess me before man, I'll not confess you before my father. See, another way that people will be tested in the path to apostasy is are you willing to get up and talk about it? Are you willing, willing to side with Jesus? Oh yeah, I'm a Jesus person. Will you side with Jesus when it comes to the issue of uh, abortion? Will you side with Jesus when it comes to the issue of homosexual marriage? Then will you confess Jesus before men? Let me tell you something. It's one thing to say, I'm a Christian. It's another thing to say, I'm against gay marriage in this culture. That's confessing Jesus before men. Somebody say amen. amen. Don't ever think it's not. There are many paths of compromise that will take us down that path of apostasy because the persecution gets turned up. The heat starts getting closer, and we get closer to the fire. And verse 37. And he that loveth father or mother more than me. These are six litmus tests that tells a, tells a person, that tells you about yourself if you're apostating and going away from God. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Your family, there'll come a day where you'll have lost, you might have lost loved ones. And they aren't, they aren't going to change. They don't want to change. And you got a loss, and then all of a sudden little Johnny comes home, and he's a homosexual. And then all of a sudden you change your theology about marriage. And then you go on the defense of, of your own child 
say, well, you know, he's such a good kid. You know, how how can he be going? How can he be wrong? I mean, I've known him since he's been a nice kid. He's always been helped people and he's been sweet and he's got a root of rebellion in him. And he's saying no to the word of God. And then you, def- then you, you start defending him. Then you kind of stop, stop hanging out with Christians because you know that that issue is going to come up. And then you kind of start having this resentment. Well, you know, these Christians are pretty judgmental. You know, I, even the people in our church, they seem to be awful judgmental. Or, or I, you know, I used to like to hang out with Christians, but now that that issue comes up, it's very uncomfortable. And, and I'd rather defend my son than agree with the word. See how subtle that slipped in? If you're not for me, you're against me. So these are subtle things that Jesus warns us about, and it's called conditions of discipleship. And if we, if we don't do these things, we can find ourselves at odds with God. And we begin to love our family more than we do God. Well, we wouldn't say, well, I don't love him more than God. I mean, I just don't agree with that man's interpretation. That's all it really is. Well, it says over here in Matthew 12, 46 and 50, And it's contingent upon the word. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak to you. But he answered, and he said unto them, told him, Who is my mother, and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples, and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, my mother and my brethren. These are the true family. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. God's going to test everything in us. And there's going to be pressure from family. There's going to be pressure from the civil government defining marriage and us having to line up with it. Not preaching against homosexuality. Uh, a lot of different things. Are you going to be ready for all those challenges? And then in verse 39, it's the final one. It says, and he that findeth his life shall lose it. Or 38, he that taketh not up his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. You see, if you don't, find, if you don't lose your life, the Bible says that you will lose your life. You've got to lose your life to find it. And if you try to find it, you'll lose it. That sounds like, to me, losing your life. That sounds like, to me, that that's a, a path, if not apostasy itself. So all these things are litmus tests. So how do we respond? We, we, we choose to lose our life. You know, some people won't, aren't even willing, aren't, aren't willing to lose hardly any components of their life much less their whole life, to the Lord. We've got to be willing to give up everything to him. We've got to be giving up our time, talent, our treasures. So these are last days things that I think that persecution, you know, is going to come and we've got to endure to the end. Because, you know, I'll be, I'll be real honest. Um, when you preach something like this about losing your life, there's a lot of people that they don't like that. They don't like, you know, I gave up my life. I gave up my ambitions. I, I gave up, you know, you know, Sundays for the rest of my life. I gave up Wednesday nights for the rest of my life. I gave up, you know, uh, 10% of my income. I gave that all up gladly, and I lay uh, laying down my life. I, I give up, you know, being 
called in the middle of the night and going, I gave up you know, pursuing an ambitious career of making lots of money. I gave up. I gave up my life to serve Jesus. How about you tonight? That's not a popular message. It's not popular at all. It's live your best life now is pretty popular. Find your life. I want my life. I want to live my life my way. See, we shouldn't be chasing our dream. We need to be following Jesus' plans for us. Like I said, Sunday. Somebody say amen. It isn't chasing my American dream. It's following his biblical plan. See, we're very convoluted in Christian America. We've somehow got this all wrapped up. This my American dream and God's biblical plan. And I'm not saying that you can't have the American dream, because I, I, I'm not against that, but, because a lot of it is scriptural, but not at the expense of doing God's plan for your life. Can I get an amen? A lot of people won't do God's plan because of the American dream. We've got we've to rightly divide the word of truth, somebody. Amen. Because we're, we're not seeing a lot of that in the, in the unbiblical preaching that's going on in a lot of the churches. Well, we're out of time. We may pick this up next week. And, and what, what are some other responses, how we need to respond? So let's, let's stand up. Let's, anybody get anything out of this tonight? These, these, are, these are sober words, but I didn't write them. Jesus and Paul did. Don't look at me like I, I wrote them. You know, you just make you a lot stronger if you hear messages like this. Sound doctrine makes you strong. They'll not endure sound doctrine. But sound doctrine is what makes you strong. Amen.